Bible open to page 1191. It would be good if we could do that, I think, just so that we're all doing this together. So, Ephesus was, as we have been hearing in Acts in the last few weeks, a place with a plethora of worldviews, practices, and powers. And the greatest of these was Artemis, whose temple was one of the wonders of the ancient world. So remember, um, we heard in Acts 19, when Paul began uh, preaching the gospel, the whole city was in uproar, and it says the crowds were shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians for two hours. Um, And the worship of Artemis was common throughout the province of Asia and elsewhere in the world as well. And she was believed to be the great mother goddess. She had um, a crown. Uh, She was known as the saviour because she protected women in pregnancy and childbirth, supposedly. Uh, She was the goddess of fertility. She had authority over creation, all sorts of things. And Ephesus was the epicentre of the worship of Artemis. So the place where the cult of Artemis had barely mitigated financial and political power and where cultic activity and um, authority in cultic activity for women uh, was more prominent than anywhere else. And it's Ephesus uh, where Paul is urging Timothy to stay and support the Ephesian church. So if you go back uh, to the beginning of 1 Timothy, you'll see that Paul's writing to Timothy, and he's saying, I urge you to stay in Ephesus and uh, for the kind of support of the, the new church there, the new Christians. And um, the accepted approach in the Roman Empire and in Greece uh, and in Ephesus to new gods was um, tolerant and syncretistic. So that means as long as you're willing to accept that your view is kind of one of many, that it's inferior in some way, it can be simply integrated into the culture without too many problems. But Paul, um, in the kind of preceding verses uh, to our passage today is reminding Timothy of the unique and exceptional authority of Christ alone. There seems to be also some problems in Ephesus with people in the church who want to argue endlessly over doctrine or are teaching false doctrine or they've only just come to faith but in verse 7 they want to be teachers of the law but do, know, do not know what they are talking about. And uh, Paul uses himself and his own journey as kind of an example to, uh, to rectify this, as a kind of um, contrast to this. So uh, he has had a significant change in his character since his conversion. He holds on to good conscience, good conscience and his knowledge of Scripture and his commission from Christ when he teaches. So he's teaching from a place of authority uh, and from truth. And he also um, gives Timothy some quite specific instructions for Christian worship in Ephesus that I think have a lot to say to us too. Uh, So the first one, if we're going uh, to verse 18, oh no, not verse 18, if we're going to the beginning of chapter 2, is that we are to pray for those in authority. And the authority, the Greek word there being huperike, if you wanted to know that. Uh, So all the various people that have um, such power and uh, such uh, potential threats to the new church as part of the pagan political system of Ephesus and the Roman Empire, 
Paul is asking the Christians to pray for them. So he doesn't want to stir up trouble. He's not uh, wanting to cause more riots. But he is encouraging the Christians to reframe the idea of these authorities as people. So people like you and me who God wants to save and who God wants us to earnestly pray for. Uh, Secondly, if we go down to uh, verse 8 and onwards, uh, Paul wants the church to be distinct from the culture. So not falling into gender stereotypes or performative mannerisms or mimicking the behavior of other religious communities, but to be charitable, to be prayerful, to be unified, to be peaceful. And finally, if we're going down uh, to verse 11 and the rest of the chapter, I believe that Paul is asking the the, uh, Christians in Ephesus to have a shift in their thinking about leadership and authority. So a good example of this is that he is asking that women should be permitted to learn without being disturbed so that they can teach sound doctrine and know what they're talking about. Unlike in the worship of Artemis, a woman cannot be automatically made a priestess or a leader uh, just by merit of her family's wealth or social standing. And just because Paul has written elsewhere that there is now no male and female in Jesus, that does not mean that the power that once belonged to men now belongs to women to wield over men. Uh, You are totally free to disagree with me on the interpretation of this passage. That is fine. But one person who does agree with me is N.T. Wright, and he says this. Paul is saying, I don't mean to imply that I'm now setting up women as the new authority over men in the same way that previously men held authority over women. Uh, But why might Paul need to bother saying this? Why is it not just implicit? Well, the priest or the priestess in a Greco-Roman city, so that's including Ephesus, exercised liturgical authority that was really in parallel, that was equally um, important as the legislative, the judicial, the financial, or even the military authority of a city. Political and religious activities can't be kind of extricated in the Greco-Roman world. So if you're writing a letter to someone in this small new religious movement that's based in Ephesus, and you want to say that because of Jesus, the old ways of organizing male and female roles must be rethought, Uh, with one feature being that women are encouraged to study and learn and lead, you need to avoid giving the wrong impression. So you don't want outsiders to think that Christianity is a cult like the cult of Artemis. And that, uh, I think, is why we have verse 12, uh, the I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. I think it's to correct against that. And note, rather than that word for authority that he used before, huperike, the word for authority here that Paul uses is authentine. So that's got much more negative connotations. Seizing power, abusing power, tyranny, it's not a neutral kind of authority. Women must have the space and leisure to study and learn, not in order that they um, can muscle in and take over leadership of the Ephesian church like they would in the Artemis cult, but so that men and women together alike can develop whatever gifts of learning, 
and teaching and leadership that God is giving them and calling them to. Paul gives us this great cautionary tale for a situation where a woman didn't have the same instruction as a man. So the story of Adam and Eve. Eve didn't have the right instruction and she was deceived. Whereas Adam had heard the right instruction and he still broke the command. Women need to be as much instructed about scripture as men do. And what about this weird women will be saved through childbearing bit? This seems very random. Well, um, I think there's a point to be made here that women are not uh, more powerful or important than men just because they are the ones able to give birth. Uh, But I think uh, the important thing is here is that Artemis was the saviour. Artemis was the one who protected women in pregnancy and childbirth. Um, And what Paul is saying here is it's God who's your saviour and protector now. You do not need to go to Artemis. You do not need to sacrifice to her. You do not need to take part in any of the cultic activity because God is your saviour. Jesus is your saviour. Salvation does not come through childbirth. It comes, if you like, from the childbirth, the birth, the incarnation of God in Jesus, his death on the cross, and his resurrection. The curse of pain in childbirth that came to Eve at the fall is broken through the victory of Christ. The curse of men ruling over women also coming at the fall, and any kind of violent or spiritual domination is broken through the victory of Christ. The question of Ephesus is this. Who is the one true authority? Who really has the right to be in charge? Is it Artemis? Is it the cult of Artemis? Is it Jewish believers? Is it new believers? Is it women? Is it men? Is it Rome? Is it Caesar? Is it Paul? No. Verse 5. There is one God and one mediator between God and humanity. The man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all men. Let the truth of this be realized in our lives, in our churches, and in our world. Amen.